Spags, I'm back. You can call me a Boston boy and not an L.A. boy anymore. You're a regular-sized Boston boy now, but you are back to recap the Super Bowl as only Splash Play could do it a little bit later than everybody else out there. But the good news is we got a lot to talk about. Odell's ACL tear. Sean McVay thinking about leaving. The QB carousel is also heating up with some Tom Brady unretiring rumors and maybe even Kyler Murray parting ways with the Cardinals. And, oh, yeah, we got to talk about the Splash Play offseason plan. So, Pete, hit that intro. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Splash Play, the fantasy football podcast for every game under the sun. And once again, I'm Chris Spaggs, joined by your friend of mine, Pete Overzet. Pete, how was L.A.? Uh, it was good. It was it was very fun. It was one of those things at the end of any of those trips, you start to, uh, you know, get excited to get back to your uh, more boring lifestyle, you know, where you can get to bed on time, you can eat healthy. Um, but I had an absolute blast. The underdog house was, was super fun and, uh, the game was good. So yeah, uh, no complaints. Great time. Yeah, we'll get more. See if there's any hot goss that Pete has uh, from the LA trip, but make sure you are hitting the like button, whether you're watching on Pete's channel or the splash play channel. And also make sure you go give us five stars and a review over on Apple podcast, because quite frankly, if you're listening to this show now and you're hanging out with us, I feel like the least you could do is give us a little bit of a tip in form of a podcast review and Apple podcast would help us out a bunch. So please go search splash play or check the link um, when I do post the, or when we post the, the show afterwards on at splash play pod, you can find the pod dot link there. And it'll take you to the review page as well for uh, any of the podcast apps, but especially Apple Podcasts. Help us make a jump here in the offseason. does mean a lot to us. And also, make sure you go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. I warned you guys the dollar a week deal was going away on the 13th, and now it's gone. So I don't, honestly don't even know what the pricing is, but I know every price that you get over at Football Outsiders is going to be worth every red cent. So go over to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Now, check out the patches on there. We're going to have some stuff coming up for the USFL. The NFL draft going to be going strong as well with lots of interesting information that we're going to be deploying here for some of our early best ball drafts we'll be doing over on Underdog. So go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe now and check out what we have going on. And uh, last plug, use the promo code SPLASH over at Underdog to get a $100 deposit match. Pete, I played, I didn't think I was going to play more big game lineups. I played a lot, and I'll tell you what, did not make a single penny back. <laughs> the big game, were those the, uh, oh, the the three-man drafts? Yeah, the three-man drafts. I mean, to be clear, I did make some money back, but I definitely gave, I think, $75 to Underdog, which is hard to do when they're a sponsor of the show and then you're giving them money right back to them. It just feels unfair. <laughs> yeah, I just, it's not my favorite format. Um, you know, we were kind of spitballing on the show, like uh, ways that you could add more rounds or more complexity to it. But yeah, it's uh, it's a little limited in what you can do, the amount of combinations and all that stuff. Well, the thing that hurt me was I think the winner had Cooper Cup and then got Tyler Boyd at the last pick of the, you know, the final round, the fourth round of those picks. And that just sucks because, like, I could tell you Tyler Boyd did not make it to a single fourth round I was in. And I did about, I think, 18 of those big game, you know, short form drafts on underdog. So nothing against underdog. Just it does kind of show that, especially for, you know, a short single game format on that site. Like you really are going to be held victim to other people drafting really stupidly and insanely. Um, just try to get different. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I, I think my idea on last week when we were talking was to add other scoring elements in there. Maybe, maybe you do add the defenses and kickers too, just to add a little bit more. I mean, that's obviously what showdown contests had to do, just to to give more life to it. Or what if you did um, 
quarterbacks, but uh, like a point penalty where they had less points that took them down to more like the average for the top running backs and wide receivers, just something to get more players in that pool. Is that where you're just kind of whispering in everybody's ear at the underdog house? Like, hey, wouldn't be the worst idea if maybe you got QBs and a little bit of a point deduction? Uh, I, I literally just thought of that four seconds ago. I, I have not <laughs> floated that yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, hopefully they watch the show. Now, now they'll know. Give me some gossip from LA, though. You had a good time there. We had our pal Nick Urcolano on on Friday. And I don't know if you saw it. Nick actually DM'd me this over the weekend. His God is good tweet, of course, just taking a page out of uh, Super Bowl MVP Cooper Cup. Ended up getting over 75 likes. So there is enough people out there. Just, you know, the heathens are, are a little more online late at night. Yeah, it was a good line if it was over, uh, you know, a longer period of time. I knew in that hour of the show that was going to be tough. Um, good gossip from LA. I mean, did I tell you I was at a party with Chase Claypool on uh, on Saturday? <laughs> you did not? Did you try to introduce yourself? You know what? I, I did not. Uh, there were a couple uh, NFL players uh, at that. Uh, Marlon Humphrey was at it. Um, but yeah, Chase Claypool was the one that I was uh, pretty stoked uh, to see there. And uh, yeah, he was just kind of chilling with his guys. It was um, a lot of people coming and going, so I didn't get a chance to make my move. I uh, The guy I did try to say hi to, and uh, I got big-timed so, so hard, was... Uh, Josh Norris. You know, <laughs> Um, what are we the Russia saying he has no sound? That might be you. Is anyone else in the in the chat having you know, issues with sound? I just turned on my laptop <laughs> okay. for a second. We're going. Don't, don't <laughs> scare me like that, dude. Um, do you know uh Tom Dwan, the poker player? Uh, I know Tom DeLong from Blink 182. Uh, oh. no, so Tom Dwan is uh, a very famous uh poker player, he played on TV a lot, uh, on Poker Night in America with you know the Doyle Brunson, Phil Helmuth. He was the young gun, and uh, I you know, I have some mutual friends with him. And when I was doing the man's character, I had done this whole long series of a bit about finding Tom Dwan because he was, you know, reportedly missing. So Tom Dwan rolls up to the party. And like, I, I was excited to see Chase Claypool. I was like starstruck to see Tom Dwan. And uh, I decided to just like say hi to him in passing. I was like, oh, hey, Tom, we have some mutual friends. And he's like, yeah, I got to, uh, my buddy's out there. I got to go talk to him. And like just immediately got brushed off by Tom Dwan. So that, that was my, my one heartbreaking, never meet your heroes moment. That's tough because like, I mean, no disrespect to Tom Dwan. I'm sure a lovely human being has got a lot going for himself. Like, it's not like he's getting bothered all the time by hot Tom Dwan fans who are like desperate to talk to him. Just give you a moment. I feel like is what he should have done. Well, and that's the thing. I would say at that party, I was there was probably only like a couple of people who would know who Tom Dwan was, um, and I was one of them. And he wanted nothing to do <laughs> with me. <laughs> I mean, I guess you got to respect that on some level. That is the the nature of fame. You never want to be bothered. <laughs> that's ultimately <laughs> Tom Dwan's right as a non celebrity to choose <laughs> to completely ignore you and be honestly sound be like sound like he's being kind of rude overall. Yeah, it was. I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a pass on this one. Uh, the other one, we went to dinner on Friday night, and Mike Vrabel sits down right next to us. He had just won Coach of the Year. He was with his buddies at the horse track. They were coming from there. They had like a photo that they had gotten taken at the horse track that they were all very excited about. They were hammered, and then two NFL reporters came and had dinner with him. It was one of his buddies' birthdays, I think, uh, but uh, Jeff Darlington, who is uh, ESPN reporter, and then Diane, uh, is it Rossi? 
Diani. Oh, Diana. Yeah, Diana Rossini. I feel like. Yeah, Diana Rossini. That was it. So they both showed up, and then I was like, okay, this is how the the coaching NFL reporter sausage gets made because they all look like they had been best friends uh, for years. So next time you see a scoop uh, from Darlington or Rossini about uh, Vrabel, just know uh, that they are they are chummy. Well, so that's actually interesting, and I, I don't want to, you know, get too much in the rumor mill, but there was one tweet that went viral that I actually did make a note of to cover in our Super Bowl recap, which we might as well get into now. Uh, there are rumors that Sean McVay, I guess, is considering retirement or considering that TV paycheck. I don't think it's the most likely. We know Sean McVay dedicated to football. He's given quotes about how he, you know, he doesn't want to play until or doesn't want to coach until he's 60, but thinks there's a decent chance he might end up doing that. But there was a, an anecdote that came from Troy Mashir, who I guess is a former Washington Post guy, a Washington, you know, media guy who's been doing it for a while, saying, My favorite Sean McVay story is that one time two reporters got in a drunken fist fight outside a chain restaurant at then Redskins training camp because McVay was hooking up with both of them and neither knew it. And Pete, actually, the rumor is, and again, I don't want to speak untoward about any female, like it's tough being a female reporter, but Diana Rossini is one of the people who reportedly was one involved there, and the other is reportedly uh, Britt McHenry. So the the ladies of the Washington beat uh, getting torn asunder by Sean McVay. Uh, I'd never heard that story. Uh, that's uh, That sounds very salacious, and uh, I will not partake in that kind of rumor mongering. Salacious and erotic, though, which is yeah. the best kind of salacious. But it is funny with the the McVeigh even kind of hinting or floating, or I don't know where that rumor started that he would maybe step away from coaching. But then you think about it, and can you blame those guys? Like, you know, Sean McVeigh, obviously hardcore football guy, you know, spends his entire life pouring over film, trying to grind out every possible edge. Like, it is exhausting. And then you look at him, he has this beautiful girlfriend. He lives in LA. He has access to basically anything he wants. He could live the TV commentator lifestyle easily and it seems like a much better lifestyle to live so like i don't even blame these guys of getting burnt out maybe you take a sabbatical maybe if you're sean mcveigh you do like your little early retirement live two years you know traveling the world doing tv and then come back and coach it's not like it's going anywhere I think the the part that I find the hardest to believe is that he would get Matthew Stafford and have this thing where they linked up in Cancun and he sold him on the value <laughs> of asking for that trade to come into the Rams. Like, I don't think he would leave him behind, but I, I think like I'm with you. I, we've talked about, you know, these guys getting these TV jobs, Sean Payton's rumored for some TV jobs, and he's never struck me as the most charismatic guy, certainly a great head coach. But we talked about Drew Brees and quite frankly, Drew Brees is awful. Like Sean McVay is handsome. Like he's been good on hard knocks. He's good whenever you put a camera on him. He was good on the ringers podcast um, when he did the flying coach one with Peter Schrager like I think he's ready for it it's just like it's a matter of what do you value and I feel like for any football guy it's like always gonna be hard to value you know TV over actually being out there on the grass telling the boys how to you know to not hit each other I guess because they don't ever practice in pads anymore well I think it, it is one of those things where the grass is always greener on the other side he would be sitting there in the TV booth and he would be getting incredible FOMO to not be in the locker room scheming things up but then on the other hand you know when you're dealing with all of the other you know minutia that you I assume you have to deal with as an NFL co head coach you're like god I would love to eject from this so uh probably one of those things where you wish you could have the happy medium you know being basically a backup quarterback I think that is that's the happy medium where you're in the mix you get to be a part of it uh but there's not really much stress and you just cash those checks. 
Yeah, I, I think even the third string, like keep it one more layer. So you're staying <laughs> in that QB room, get to hang out with the boys, be the guy who lightens the mood perhaps while still giving sage wisdom to the receivers and the younger QBs. Like that would really be the ideal spot. Uh, DJ, a dog 3K asking in chat. And of course, who am I to turn down a dog who's a DJ? How long until we get big board best ball content from the big board? Um, we're going to be doing big board drafts, I think, starting later this week, Pete. And I guess uh, the separate question that we were going to cover at the end here, our offseason schedule, do we want to go to two days a week now i feel like that might be logical um yeah i'm I'm open to whatever i think i told you uh i'm gonna be gone like 10 days beginning yeah. of march so i feel like we could go you know two days through uh through then then i'll be away you have a child on the way and then we can kind of reassess um when you want to scale it up but i was already i'm already getting excited to uh i want to just do a ton of of best ball streams uh this season i might bring back my best ball breakfast on mondays at uh i was doing that at like 10 a.m eastern so i'll mi mix that in um but yeah I'm, I'm down for whatever i uh i don't think we would have trouble coming up with things to talk about but it, it would also be nice to maybe give us like a six to eight week uh break of three shows a week it also feels like, I mean, and maybe this is too early. Like, is it time to do the off season uh, episode draft? Like I know we did that last year, I think in maybe March or April, but like, are we ready for that? Are we ready to make that a show? Maybe we could do that at the beginning of next week, or do you want to hold off on that until we return from our, our, you know, our half-assed efforts until leading into your vacation and my, my child rearing. I mean, I feel like if we did do um, three episodes a week, you know, we could have one day was drafting. Uh, a big board team one could be from our master wheel for you know eccentric show bits um i think at some point we could also pick another uh you know football adjacent show to to rewatch and do a or movies a, i do like the movies. Idea of doing like how did this get made of football movies yeah and and then the third thing we could um we could do stuff with um we could have a regular guest you know, kind of like we were doing in season with our Friday shows. I, mean, I, I don't think we would have a hard time coming up with uh, like a guest format uh, as well. So I, I don't think we're going to be starved for content if we want it. It's just whatever we're feeling. And uh, I don't know if you guys in the chat uh, also have any suggestions, things you'd like to see. Do you guys, are you guys just draft, draft, draft? Do you like the, uh, the movie and TV show rewatch? Do you like it when we bring on guests? Uh, any feedback I think will be helpful for our show planning. Yeah, tweet us at Chris Spags or at Peter Overzet or at Splash Play Pod. We're seeing a bunch and actually got a good amount of tweets from people over the weekend. Uh, people who either won because of the showdown or won because of best ball and credited us with some big wins. I think we actually saw, and this is not something we do, like we're not playing, put the Splash Play avatar. Like, you know, I know that's great for a lot of uh, my friends over at Osmo, the Roto Grinders of the world, the ETRs of the world. For us though, Pete, like we make the jokes about the Millionaire Maker winners, but we legitimately had like, I think two or three people in the audience, no, three or four people in the audience, I think, who won like 300K in total, which is bananas to me. Yeah, I got to, I'll pull up the the screenshot here from uh, Tigers1211 uh, gave a shout out to to us in the in the Swole cast here. Took down the big gauntlet, um, $25 entry fee. Of course, this was the playoff best ball contest on Underdog, uh, $200,000, a solo ship. Um, just an awesome, awesome win by him. And, uh, I also know sniper here in second that's Harbs. He's in the discord for non is a ship chasing VIP. So, uh, nice to see, uh, so many people within our circles, uh, crushing in these contests. You know, we got tagged in some other uh, FanDuel single game one. I think somebody won. And then 
Uh, some guy, Nate, who I, I don't recall seeing. Now. I, the name rang, rang a bell, but I don't recall seeing him in the chat. Uh, but he had also tagged us in a win. So, like, kudos if you are one of the people out there who won. And if you, if you do win, feel free to tag us. Like, it's nice to see that even this show, which obviously we're doing a lot of things in jest, but certainly uh, try to bring on the Justin Freemans of the world, the Cody Mains of the world, guys that do have that real bona fide expertise. I'd add some value to you guys. Uh, let us know, because I think it's always great to see that stuff. But let's think it's the actual recap of the game, Pete, where Odell Beckham, he did tear his ACL after a hot two-catch, 52-yard start, along with the touchdown. Ben Skronek comes in, very mediocre in relief. And I just like the main story, though, of Odell tearing his ACL. I know he's not the most beloved guy. Certainly Cleveland fans, I think, have a very uh, harried relationship with him that's not going to get better after he won a Super Bowl and kind of forced his way out of town there, or at least his dad did. But I feel really bad for Odell. Like he got a he got his contract in Bitcoin uh, that tanked after he got that payment in, and then now it's this where he tears his ACL heading into his free agency, and like he probably would have gotten himself a good payday if he kept playing like he did in the Super Bowl. And now it's like he's probably getting one year deals, and that's just uh, I think a shitty situation for a guy, even if you don't like him that much. Yeah, I was. Um, I think I was maybe a little more skeptical just in season uh, when he got traded to the Rams, and I, I think it was fair for there to be kind of uncertainty about where he was at as a player and wondering, you know, had he left us, had he lost a step or was he just mentally checked out with the Browns? And it, I think it did obviously prove to be the latter because he looked explosive. He looked as sharp as we had seen him, you know, back in his prime, you know, with the giants early on in his career. So I was kind of wrong on how much he would, you know, kind of return to form. And it is a good lesson too, because, there's been the studies in the past as well about teams or players changing teams, wide receivers, their production normally goes down. We've had a few of those anomalies in the past with guys like uh, DeAndre Hopkins and Stefan Diggs changing teams and then having elite seasons. We saw Amari Cooper trade teams uh, from the from the Raiders to the Cowboys midseason, and he didn't really lose a step. And uh, I think Odell is kind of the next one in there. And there is a theme across those wide receivers. Like they're very elite talents um who can kind of fit in to whatever scheme so yeah i i think it was uh it's a bummer to to see his season in like that just because he had returned to form and he is you know when he's on his game one of the best receivers in the nfl so yeah i hope he's able to uh to come back from that in some capacity and DJ Richard in the chat saying that he hopes that the Rams bring o Odell back. Like, I think that probably gets a little more reasonable here where he can rehab, be a part of the team, and then come in and be the wide receiver three, you know, assuming they keep the same configuration of Woods Cup and also uh, keeping Van Jefferson, who uh, one of two Rams who have had a baby, I think, over the Super Bowl weekend. His wife went into labor during the game. So kudos to Van Jefferson, a fellow uh, spring father here. Me and Van Jefferson, very similar men. Cooper Cup ends up MVP with eight catches for 92 yards, two touchdowns. Matthew Stafford, a rare non QB. MVP um, with a three touchdowns, two interceptions, probably heard him there. But Pete, this talks about what we, I think in the first show we did talk about Super Bowl props shopping around the DraftKings Sportsbook. At that point, Cooper Cup was, I think, plus 660. He ended up closer to plus 550 to win the MVP. There were a lot of pathways for minus money. Matthew Stafford did not end up the MVP. And two interceptions, I guess, is enough to do it. And Cooper Cup, I feel like this was also an award just kind of give him a nod as like, being really singularly fantastic in a way, I don't think any receiver has been besides maybe Randy Moss or Jerry Rice. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like that game for Cooper Cup and Stafford was like their season in a microcosm, whereas like Stafford's, you know, just good enough to not, you know, ruin their chances to win. But Cooper Cup really just 
makes all of the big plays. He had the touchdown catches. That one fade was a sick catch when they needed a first down on fourth down. They said, uh, yeah, we've seen the Cam Akers experiment. It's not working. We are going to run an end around to Cooper Cup. So I, I'm not, uh, I don't, I didn't really see the Twitter fallout if people were upset that Stafford didn't get it. But to me, Cooper Cup was the engine of their offense and their most consistently great player and had an awesome game in, in the Super Bowl. So uh, I think it's impressive because I thought their offense looked pretty shitty after Odell left. Like he was giving them that extra level. And it was like, how many injuries can they withstand? They didn't have Higby. They lose Odell. You see Ben Skoronek looking pretty bad out there. So to me, he really earned that MVP and I have no issue with it. Yeah, Kendall Blanton also hurt his shoulder, which led to a little bit of a bump for Bryson Hopkins. As some people in the chat are talking about, um, I guess another another bank there for somebody over the Super Bowl weekend. Uh, but still, I would say that's something that you know people upset Donald didn't get it. A tougher defensive line player to get there, especially when you do have Cooper Cup going for two touchdowns. He didn't break the receiving props or anything, uh, but still had a more than a good enough day. I'm pretty comfortable with Cooper Cup as the MVP, and also pretty comfortable with like Matthew Stafford. Like he seemed perfectly happy not having the MVP and just winning the Super Bowl and getting that monkey off his back after. After, you know, years kind of languishing in Detroit. Sorry to our, our Lions fans, friends out there. Uh, but I think that's something where it was the right choice, ended up the right way. And Aaron Donald, certainly a freak of nature on his own right. Uh, you mentioned the backfields. Both of them were pretty mediocre. Joe Mixon went for 15 carries for 72 yards, along with five catches for one yard total, which is not the most helpful. Cam Akers led the Rams backfield, 13 carries for 21 yards, uh, three catches for 14 yards. And I think Pete, like the running games here just kind of summed up what the Super Bowl was, where it was fun because it was competitive. It was fun because a decent halftime show that uh, really did appear uh, appeal to people that I think are older than we all want to admit to. But I feel like the running game really just like they all, both teams relied on the running game so much, relied on those checkdowns of Joe Mixon. And it just ended up being a complete, I don't know, like lackluster effort that will probably get covered up by the fact that it was, it was just fun to have Super Bowl. And it was the highest rated Super Bowl, I think, in the last five years, too. Yeah, uh, it was an entertaining game. Both of the, I think the teams, you know, the Bengals, it wasn't that they weren't willing to run the ball, but they just like went away from Joe Mixon in a couple really obvious spots on on third and one using, you know, Samaje P. Ryan carries. Like that didn't look good to me. I actually thought uh, Darrell Henderson, you know, gave them a bit of a spark in the passing game. Uh, they basically completely phased out uh, Sony Michelle, which was, which was interesting, but yeah, acres just didn't quite, I don't know if it, if we're attributing it to him, the offensive line, but the things were just not clicking there. Whereas I would, I thought Henderson actually looked pretty good uh, in the passing game there, but yeah, I mean, for the Bengals, for the most part, I think they were probably just wanting to have some kind of, uh, you know, running game to take heat off the passing game because Joe Burrow was under pressure so much. I think in a perfect world, they would have had much more success on the ground and Burrow's not taking as many sacks, but it's kind of like a double-edged sword because the reason they got there, the reason they've been so good is because of their pass rate over expectation and how well Burrow can move the ball through the passing game. So it is really uh, a tough predicament, I imagine, as an offensive play caller to be like, how do we handle this? We're best when we're throwing the ball, but our quarterback has no time to do it.
it was something too, and you know, I never want to put that much faith in something like playing Madden and then you make the deduction, but I'd read about in our Football Outsiders preview where our guy Aaron Schatz, who's the editor-in-chief, who's been doing this for uh, more years than Pete and I certainly have, more years than a lot of people out there, uh, Football Outsiders being around for over 20 years, and, and Aaron being a, a forerunner of the analytics movement out there, and he had talked a lot about you know the risk profile for Joe Burrow if he holds on to that ball too long, that it's going to make it just impossible for him to get the ball out, the pocket's going to collapse a lot, and I saw that then I was playing Madden the afternoon, and I was playing as the Bengals got absolutely destroyed where Aaron Donald kept getting up the middle. Leonard Floyd, you've got everybody was getting up the middle at me as Joe Burrow. And I was like, wow, maybe this actually is something to be concerned about. And then we saw it happen in real life. Still didn't stop T Higgins though from having a solid day, four catches, hundred yards, two touchdowns. Jamar Chase held in check by his standards, only five catches for 89 yards, but I think did beat his prop line. So he had that going for him. I feel like overall, Pete, like the Bengals probably shouldn't have been there. Seemed a little happy to be there. Evan McPherson enjoying the halftime show, uh, not going into the locker room. Like I get it, but at the same time, like I just kind of feels like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Like that Chiefs Bills game was the real Super Bowl in some respects. Yeah, I was I was talking with the underdog guys about that. Of like, how do you think the you know the Super Bowl goes if it's the um, the Bills? And I, I do really think if the Bills sneak by the Chiefs, they win the Super Bowl there. And I think it was one of those kind of like rock paper scissors things where the Bills beat uh, almost any other team in the playoffs, but just didn't match up well with the Chiefs. Like that's their the one team that could really go pound for pound with them. So it is unfortunate that we got the best game uh, divisional round weekend while I was on a plane. Uh, and not at the Super Bowl when I was eating pizza and watching on a big TV, but that's just life specs. I mean, it brings me joy to know. <laughs> I know <laughs> it did. You still saw the game though, so unfortunately, like not not as much joy as it could provide me that if you just missed it entirely and then we're like, oh no. <laughs> It was actually funny too, because on my plane out there, uh, it must've been like NFL classics or whatever on NFL network. And they were showing the, the chiefs, uh, bills game again on there. I was like, okay, now I can, I can watch it properly again on a plane. Commercial wise, anything you cared about? I kind of hated all of them for the most part. And I feel like that's just, you know, the kind of recurring theme of everything. The Coinbase one in particular, I was like, it was a QR code. And then at the end, it's like Coinbase. And I was like, I fucking knew this is going to be a company that was going to annoy me with this process. And like, apparently that did really well for them. So I shouldn't talk too much shit. But besides that, like really nothing stood out to me. It just kind of felt like a mediocre day of commercials. And I'm sure even more mediocre for you, probably paying even less attention at a fun little party house. Yeah, I really didn't. Uh, the only one that like got everyone's attention was the the Coinbase one. Uh, I thought just from I'm sure AdSense is writing up like a ten thousand word profile on that ad. Um, just as getting people to engage with a commercial is just so rare, where they were able to get people to bust out their phones and QR code and just try to figure this out. And they, you know, did they pay for like a full minute to where that kind of a loading screen just kept hanging there as if like some connection issue happened. I think just the way they socially engineered that was really smart. Uh, but then their website crashed. So it's like, what's the point of spending all this money to drive people to your website if you don't even have the servers in place to handle the traffic? But yeah, the Larry David one uh, I thought was funny, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I honestly didn't get to watch many of them in full or in full attention. FF Doom sums up my stance. I adamantly refuse to scan that QR code. I, that was where I was too. Where I was like, I know this is going to be something annoying. I know it's still going to tell me. And I refuse to give them the, the satisfaction that they wanted out of that. But it's weird because they did have a message on the site like indicating, oh, the Super Bowl ad must have crashed our servers. So they knew there was a chance. And it's just still, they didn't do it the right way. Um, and Justin in the chat bringing up the Sopranos one. I did enjoy Meadow parking efficiently with the Chevy Silverado. At the same time, like the Sopranos between the movie they put out on HBO Max and, and now this, like, 
I, I know, Pete, you're probably not as it's not as near and dear to your heart as it is for me, of course, as an Italian-American who grew up at the time frame The Sopranos came out. But I feel like the bastardization of The Sopranos is one of the downers for me of 2021 and 2022. I mean, consider you're talking to these guys. Welcome to the <laughs> let's maybe not talk about the bastardization of Italian-American culture. <laughs> It's more the bastardization of the Sopranos, I guess, but fair if we do extend it to all of Italian culture, I suppose we're playing. We're, you know what? No Chevy Silverado ads here, Pete. Yeah, that's right. I actually didn't hear. What was your Super Bowl setup? Where were you watching? What were you eating? You know, uh, what was the setup at the Spags household? So we are ju- we are just here. It was just me and my partner, Alex. We went out the night before to uh, have a merging of our families for dinner. And then we were like, yeah, we're, we can't do any more. Um, I talked about it a little bit on the show, but like COVID exposure, not the best when you are uh, basically due within a month or so, because it can increase the chances of the child being born stillborn, which is certainly not great, but also early pregnancy and all the or early uh, delivery and all that. So so uh, not worth the risk profile. So we just hung out here, uh, loaded up on Shake Shack, loaded up on, I was certainly drunk by the time the Super Bowl came around, uh, but it was just, you know, a nice intimate one-on-one setting where you could really soak in the finer points of the game and also, you know, make a deliberate choice to not look at Coinbase QR codes. Yeah, I I enjoy both. Like the, I would say what, last year and in previous years, um, just watching at home with Lauren where you can pay attention uh, to everything is uh, is a nice experience. Uh, I kind of like doing every other year thing, you know, go to a Super Bowl, do one back at your house. Um, pros and cons to both plays. Yeah, I feel like if I do the party, like I do like a smaller group party, because like I don't even want to get caught up like playing beer pong or something during the game, unless it's like, you know, that Rams Patriots one a couple years ago where you're basically looking for any distraction. I feel like overall, like for me, like I do like smaller group Super Bowls because I actually want to pay attention. And like that's like for us, especially like that's the encapsulation of all the hours and hours of like football watching and talking about it we've done. So I feel like you almost on some level have to give it that respect, even though that might be me being entirely too precious about the concept of football. I, I agree with that take. It is funny though, because I I I have this feeling every year where no even no matter how good of a game the Super Bowl is, it it just inherently is anticlimactic because we dive into so much minutia and analyze so many things. We get action in the weirdest places that it is truly the like journey is more important than the de- destination of the event. Because then the game finished and it was like. It just always feels like a letdown, not because of the game, but just because we've already poured our heart and souls into these other random elements surrounding it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So Pete, I'm going to offer something up to you here because I did mention this to Pete before the show that I filmed a TikTok video and I'm actually going to send you actually, how do, what's the, are you pumping your TikTok bags? Well, I am, I am doing that as well. Uh, but I wasn't like, I'm not committed to posting regularly on there, but I did feel good that I had notched a, a vi- amount of views a little bit higher than Pete. I'm going to send you the link on, on your text right now, Pete, and you can make fun of me for it. But I did post my Super Bowl bets. Actually, as I, I told Pete before the show was up late Friday night and thought, you know what I should do is try to make a TikTok here. Um, and cause I just, you know, I, I know I have the ideas in my head about what uh, could work on TikTok, what might be executable still have not posted very frequently on TikTok at all as Pete will pull up, uh, when he shows you here, but Pete 530 views on my TikTok with two Super Bowl bets that you have to take today. Fine. I'll begrudgingly follow you. Oh, thank you, Pete. I'll follow you back as soon as I, <laughs> soon wow, as I you log did- in. Wow. And splash play doesn't even make the, the, uh, the bio. I mean, this is bad. I, I didn't, you know, again, it's a new page. Down. You want a shot to make some money this week. Sorry, you'll, what were you saying? 
You'll note that I use the trending sound too. I mean, I'll let you in the process, Pete, because, you know, again, 530 views. I feel like some people, maybe even an LA TikTok boy would be looking to get those kind of views. I, I am not trying to get TikTok views, Bags, but let's, uh, let's you know, give this the, uh, what was the show you were on the other day? Cheddar? Cheddar, yeah, we'll give it the cheddar treatment. Okay. This weekend, betting on the Super Bowl. And you need to try these two bets that the math says are the best bets this weekend. So you got to use the math. Now, the first bet up is the fun one. Matthew Stafford over two and a half passing touchdowns. The way that I like to bet is compare the odds I can get versus the odds of some of the top sports books in the world. And the best sports books in the world think that Matthew Stafford gets over two and a half passing touchdowns at plus 143 odds. That means that when you strip their cutout, they think this bet wins about 39.4% of the time. So because I got plus 170 odds over at FoxBet, that means that my bet's got a higher value than the best sports books in the world would give it. This bet will win you 6.4% more when it wins compared to the amount of money it's going to lose you when it loses. That's why on a mathematical level, Matthew Stafford over two and a half passing touchdowns is a good bet. And if you want to make it easier yourself, he's probably just going to throw three touchdowns to Cooper Cup anyway. I the other that's a joke. bit less fun unless you're into Bengals backup running backs. Samaj P. Ryan under five and a half rushing yards might be almost as good a bet as that Matthew Stafford one. Best sports books in the world have this as minus 175 odds. I mean, they expect this bet to win 61% of the again time. Too. So because I got this bet at minus 138, that means the bet has a 5.2% expected value to me. So there's two bets that the math backs out. But leave me your bets down in the comments. And also make sure to subscribe to encourage me to do more of this pulling back the curtain on the sports books. So to be clear, that did not convert to followers. But you want you know, 530 <laughs> views with no actual followers on there and I didn't promote it on any other channels. These two I bets pretty good the math it. says. Well, you got four comments as well, which is a good, which is a good yeah. I appreciate you not even indulging in talking out loud. <laughs> and instead just leaving me troll comments on TikTok. But I'll, I'll follow you back as the original TikTok influencer now that I've you know, taken that crown from you. Hey, uh, I think collectively in the chat, say it with me right now after watching that. Good shit, Spags. <laughs> DJ Richard, see, not even doing the meme saying, damn, Spags, that was solid. Um, and then, oh, there we go. GM Shorty stuff saying getting math advice from a guy who can't even wrangle in his weed guys seems suspicious. <laughs> I did wrangle him eventually. <laughs> That's why the content is taking a probably a turn downwards, honestly. I, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I still that that's going to be one of our off season show ideas is figuring out who your weed guy is. We've, I think I already told you, you just didn't pay attention. I, I like it better when I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I point being though, I do think that thank you for the post and the read the chats there. Good shit, Spags indeed. Look, I just want to be a TikTok star, Pete, and I want to do it the right way with solid mathematical, um, really well-rooted betting advice. I no, I could see it. I, I legitimately think that kind of content, Sal does a lot of that kind of DFS related content on his TikTok. Uh, if you stick with it, you will be the next great uh sports betting Twitter account. I know it. I hope so. Anyway, okay, follow me on there if you want to see if I do another one. I, I I set up my OBS studio in here. I can theoretically do more. I just need to actually have good bets. That's really the tough part is like now I'm 2-0 on TikTok bets, and I don't want to go wasting that juju on any sort of just random-ass bet out there. Are you going to put your betting record in your TikTok account? Um, I mean, if I keep winning. 50-0 <laughs> <laughs> on TikTok bets, just keep deleting the ones that don't win. <laughs> 
dude the record shit like i'm still like i with my bet spurts profile and i i finished at i think like 47 percent on the year but it's just like staring at a losing record every time you log in sucks so much i mean that's the thing that like you know we talked about a little bit on this show and i think you know we're trying to do with the company i work for edge sports and champion gaming what we're doing with all the betting stuff obviously football outsiders as well but like the best bets you can make are not sexy. Like they're not fun. It is like, you know, Matthew Stafford over two and a half t- passing touchdowns. Like that's kind of fun. Samaje Pirine under five and a half rushing yards. Like I think I mentioned that on every show last week because I knew that was a bet I was going to be taking and putting a good amount of money on. And it's like, that's not a fun bet. Like that's not one people want to hear about, but ultimately those are the ones that you actually have a shot to win money on. Yeah. And I mean, the Super Bowl, uh, you know, exposes that dynamic to the extreme because there's so much to bet on and and some of it is just fun um and i mean even you know i i get the alerts for the etr and you know they had far far more you know bets on just any other random sunday just because the amount to choose from um and less handle being put on them to get them to a super efficient spot um there just weren't a ton of like obvious glaring bets even kind of my thesis on the Cooper cup receiving line. I know underdog ended up moving it up, I think four to five yards from where it opened, but I thought it was even going to get higher. Um, I, I wasn't really hawking the bets on, on Sunday close to game time, but did you notice any good under stuff pop up? No, honestly, like some of the ones that I had seen pop up, which thankfully, again, I talked on the show, I have not been able to get a bet MGM account. A lot of the ones that looked good, according to like the positive EV metrics, where you're comparing, you know, the basically Pinnacle Sportsbook, but Pinnacle Bookmaker, um, any of the top European ones are going to mostly give you a pretty good read. Like it was Cooper Cup over eight and a half receptions, which he didn't hit. It was Sony Michelle over five and a half carries, which he didn't hit. So like, I honestly don't even know what good bets were. I think I just got lucky getting those two early and being like, all right, cool. I'm done with my prop betting for the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I, I had bet some prop bets earlier in the week that I did pretty well on. Um, and then the underdog one, when we were on the show on Sunday morning, I was just like (laughs) ripping off a bunch of the, uh, the five leg ones. I actually did hit my main one that I tweeted out. Um, early in the week using my Joe Burrow special, I did have the, uh, the cam acres under 64 and a half yeah. rushing yards. So felt good, uh, you know, on my, my public gold star whale play lock of the century, you know, to hit that. What we did too was um my Alex was looking at signing up uh, for FanDuel because she wanted to put in one bet and, and basically what FanDuel offered was like a I think a fifty six to one odds on either side's money line so obviously you take the Rams money line they were the favorite to win anyway and you could bet whatever you want and sort of bet it within reason and you're gonna end up with a profit I ended up putting like three different parlays in for her one was the still the Rams to win but with the Stafford over two and a half touchdowns so that ended up cashing and then two like really longer legged you know same game parlays that had a much lower chance of winning. And it's like, those are still the best bets you could take, which sucks because some of the promo ones like we talked about with kickers winning MVP or even D line winning MVP, like not going to be as good. But that first like bet promo you get from any of these books, like that's your best chance to win money at any time. And that just kind of bums me out that that's like the ecosystem right now. Yeah, we should do, um, we should do a, a futures betting show. Uh, I'm sure, uh, I don't know what if football outsiders has some of their early kind of like power ranks uh, type of data out for next year, but it'd be fun to, you know, um, you and I do make a couple futures bets and then be able to kind of track those throughout the year. 
Yeah, I'd be up for that. I think that's certainly on the off-season plan that we'll be fleshing out here live on the show. And just to kind of prove my point about the betting here is um, checking one of the sites that I use as a, a check and balance metric uh, compared to some of the sportsbook odds. The best bets you can get right now are Brentford versus Newcastle United. If you take the total goals under one and a half on FanDuel, that's got a 9.4% EV. Uh, the Asian handicap, which I guess is minus one and a half. I don't even know what that is. Uh, for Manchester United, also looks pretty good on DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, it's got plus 265 odds. The Pinnacle has it as plus 225. And then Burnley versus Leicester City, uh, the over three and a half goals, Pete, plus 260 compared to plus 213. Those are the best bets you could take, Pete. And I know you're a big soccer fan and you're always worried about the Asian handicaps, which honestly sounds like a phrase I shouldn't even be saying out loud, but I guess that's a betting style that we just didn't know. I can already tell how this is going to go. You're going to you're going to crop me out and you're going to cut this clip. Uh, you're going to make a TikTok that's going to get 324 views on it. I already know how this is going to go. Here's everything you need to know about Asian handicaps in soccer. I'm going to get canceled somehow because people don't even watch the whole TikTok. One bet you can't afford not to make. I'm Chris Spags. Oh, God. I honestly, though, like if you're telling me, Pete, that you wouldn't take like if we figured out like an easy pathway to becoming TikTok famous and like it took, you know, and 30 minutes of recording and editing a day like we, I think we both would take that. Right. No, I Spags, I know what kind of content can crush on there. I, I know how I don't like doing that kind of shit. It's not fun or interesting to me. But what if you could make it fun and interesting? Ah, well, then I'm all ears, Spags. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk NFL offseason news, things that are fun and interesting. And then, uh, of course, the one that I have up first is the kind of depressing one. Uh, Ryan Flores, uh, The there was one news item I thought was interesting. We're going to cover a lot of the QB carousel. I think there actually is some interesting stuff that I mostly called from uh, The Athletic earlier today. But Jim Trotter, uh, NFL reporter for a while, did write about the Brian Flores lawsuit. And I just thought this was actually, you know, Pete, you might be worth putting you on. Uh, putting this on the screen, uh, check your text. Um, so this is a, a basically a quote from a Jim Trotter article talking about the Brian Flores lawsuit. And I think, you know, for us, it's just important to talk about this, both as football fans and also people that I think just want to you know, see people get the right thing done by them. Um, there's a quote from this article by Jim Trotter saying, not all have been willing to go with the status quo. Uh, quote, Clarence Shellman spent 16 years as an assistant coach before jumping to the NFL, where from 1991 to 2011, he coached some of the game's top running backs, including Ebbett Smith and Ladanian Tomlinson. From 2007 to 2011, he was offensive coordinator of the Chargers, who ranked in the top five in scoring each of those seasons and went to the playoffs three times, including a trip to the conference final. As his career progressed, he dreamed of becoming a head coach, but the higher he climbed on the occupational ladder, the farther he found himself from the desired destination. So in 2012, he walked away from the game. It's emasculating. It's devastating. He said at the unequal playing field, you work tremendous hours and you produce. Then you see guys come into the game that have coached three years or they're sons of somebody else. The next thing you know, they're a head coach and you're not. You've been busting your ass all these years and you can't even get an interview. It really plays with your mind. You realize that you don't really have a chance. It's almost paralyzing. Part of the problem is that most coaches can't do anything about it because they need that salary, he continued. So they play the good soldier and they go on. But I was different. When I realized how this thing operated, I saved my money and I invested my money. And I walked away on my own terms. As much as I loved the game, which had given me everything, including my education, I could no longer look at myself in the mirror and know that I'm going along with the systemic racism. It's real what Brian Flores is saying. Uh, you know, again, a tough article snippet, Pete, but one that I thought really crystallized it pretty well. And I honestly never even heard the name Clarence Shellman, certainly a little before we were doing this as pros or, you know, on uh, you know, a meaningful way, getting paid to do this on, on camera. But I like those things. There's probably 20 million more anecdotes like that. And it just kind of, I don't know, put things in perspective for me in a way that I thought was worth sharing. Yeah, it, it, it does. It's one of those moments too, when you, 
there's a lot of things where you you hear the one story because it bubbles up into the mainstream consciousness and then it makes you wonder this can't be an isolated case how many other times has this happened and and we haven't heard about it and so yeah i think it's good for people to to hear these other stories um and just know that they can't write it off as a one-off incident or you know brian flores whatever kind of you know reasoning they'd want to assign to his you know actions i think it's good to know that there is kind of a systemic underbelly uh to all this stuff so hopefully there's more stories that come out like this because we've seen you know i don't want to equate it exactly but kind of a parallel thing with colin kaepernick you know getting blackballed um and not a lot of people coming to stand up for him and it, it makes it a lot harder to ignore when there's more and more people you know coming out of the woodwork for it yeah, with the Kaepernick thing, people outright discrediting his performance, pointing out like, oh, he wasn't that good. But meanwhile, you know, there's a lot of QB jobs in the league where even if he's not that good, certainly based on the pedigree, um, he should have had a job. But yeah, you know, look, we got to be responsible here. Pete and I certainly both, yeah, I think, come from a similar worldview here. But I just want to make sure that we're doing the best to support uh, these communities out there that maybe just need more people like us and not just sit there and go like whatever. So that's our that's soapboxing a little bit here. Other news, though, Pete, and again, a lot of this was covered in The Athletic. So full credit to our guy. Actually, go to our, our pal Arif Hassan's page and sign up for The Athletic there because uh, Pete and I both made the jump to The Athletic. I know over the summer, or I did over the summer, I think Pete did at some point last year. And I have to say, like, I don't know if you feel the same way after a full NFL season, but always lots of interesting wrinkles. And it's also just nice people actually read the articles that uh, people post quotes from on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I, I I enjoy I had a while ago, it was like two years ago as a bit, it was on uh, Ship Chasing that I've never read uh, more than the lead uh, on The Athletic. Uh, and it was, you know, where I'd get all my nuggets passed along from Corain. Uh, but I did get subbed up uh, this year and, and very happy to have a sub. Even uh, on the plane, I was reading uh, Jordan Rodrigue, who is the beat reporter for the Rams for The Athletic. Really great writer. And I read her uh, kind of like long form profile about the Rams winning the Super Bowl. And I never read shit like that uh, because it's just like, eh, it's not about fantasy. It's not whatever. Um, but it was so well written uh, and the quality over there. Uh, it, it's really good. Yeah, and not an ad, though. Again, I really do think if you're going to sign up, use our pal Arif Hassan at Arif Hassan NFL's uh, sign up because that'll help him out, too. But um, I just wanted to give them a shout out because I think they really make it easier to cull through news for segments like this one. And the news item that stood out to me, Tom Brady reportedly, quote unquote, grew tired of the Bucks coaching. It could be more live than expected to come out of retirement to play for the Niners. They also pointed out on The Athletic that Jimmy Garoppolo and Brady had the same agent, which could make something like that easier. And this is something, Pete, where we've talked and done our best ball drafts already for 2022 hyping up Trey Lance, bummed that we couldn't get Trey Lance. There is a real world here, I feel like. I don't know how likely it is. I don't know if you have a feel about odds you'd put on it, but I don't think it's like a 100 to 1 chance Tom Brady comes out of retirement. It feels like with some of these tea leaves, like maybe this is just a graceful way to leave the Bucks and then keep the window open for himself. And I guess would explain too why he didn't want to be too rash with the reporting around it. But it feels like there's a chance we do get Tom Brady back and, and he just completely goes against his word that he gave us so far. Well, yeah, I, I don't know if it's just my cynical take, but I was also like, this is another way for Tom to kind of wrestle back his retirement story himself. You know, he felt, uh, I know, upset the way he got scooped by uh, by Schefter with that, then had to come out, say no decision was made, then does come out and say it. And I was applauding him at the time for not doing this whole elongated, you know, victory lap kind of thing. And now it's like, oh, I think I spoke too soon because if he's going to do the, oh, I might come back thing all, uh, all off season, that's going to become absolutely exhausting. So, uh, yeah, I, 
I, I saw rumored uh, it was like going back to retire one season with the 49ers, um, which obviously on paper like makes a ton of sense. Uh, although, man, what a tease. If uh, everyone who's drafting Trey Lance right now is like QB7, uh, has him get cucked by Tom Brady returning to play a season for the 49ers. But yeah, this is, I can already tell this story is going to exhaust me uh, this season, but my, my main take on it is Brady just wants to one control his story and two, he likes to feel wanted and having teams even think that he might come back and to get courted and receive these offers or whatever. Um, I assume he's just going to lap up the attention, uh, without really, uh, any true intention to play this year. And guys online always make the joke about retired players like, oh, they're home for five days and they're being asked to do chores and they're like, oh, he just wants to get away from the old battle axe. But like that honestly might be a part of it for Tom Brady for real, where he's been doing this, this prep work, his insane TB12 methodology, whatever he's doing with Alex Guerrero, doing that since 2001, like at a certain point, like, you know, you, I don't want to say you become a prisoner to it, but certainly get accustomed to just that being the ritual, that being the work that has to go in. Then you don't have that. And it's kind of like life loses all purpose. It's like these old CEOs who retire and then they're like, you know, then they die within a year. Not that Tom Brady's going to die, but I do think there's something that it's just like, he just wants to be back in the mix probably already. And the Niners would certainly be a fun storybook ending. The one he could have probably had last time too. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. And we'll certainly keep using it. Uh, we'll keep talking about it. Keep checking the reporting Pete, but also maybe sometimes use it to annoy you whenever there's a little bit of airtime to fill. Yeah. Uh, coaching carousel and, you know, quarterbacks may or may not uh, be retiring, you know, my favorite topics in life. Yeah, so that's what we're here for. That that and uh, TikTok, serious TikToks repeat. Those are going to be the three <laughs> three segments that might pop up on the off-season episode draft. Just entire episodes dedicated to all of those three. All right, here, here's a here's a contest that we should do for an episode. We should have you and I each film uh, a single... TikTok, we get a topic from the chat. Um, it has to be, you know, vaguely topical. It can't be about like the 1987 Super Bowl. Um, and Spags and I each make a TikTok on it, and we can't promote it, you know, on Twitter or anywhere else. We just have to like let it ride on TikTok and we'll we'll see who gets more views. I'm into it. I mean, I, I feel like I really have now watched enough TikToks and YouTube shorts or TikToks and YouTube shorts that I feel like I could do this. I think the issue is really like where, where, at what level does our pride kick in and our, or our, our shame or lack thereof? Cause I think for a competition, I wouldn't feel it, but I would feel even posting that one, like that was a perfectly competent TikTok, And I just felt like naked having it out there with like, just people are going to see it and go like this guy, huh? Actually, I can't believe I even forgot this. Do you want me to really break your heart spags? What? It's a known thing that the TikTok algorithm boosts the views in your first video. Um, oh, I've posted ones before. They just were personal use ones. I deleted them for this one. You did? Yeah, I had three videos on there. They were just like my dogs and my girlfriend. Yeah. All right. All right. Maybe the TikTok algorithm, though, still treats it as your first upload. So I just keep deleting the video. Just <laughs> delete it. Yeah. I mean, you'll never be able to. I've actually seen a few uh, Instagram people that have that strategy where they basically have like no posts. Like they do a ton of stories. Mm -hmm. um, but if you go to their page, there's like one post and they'll have 400,000 followers. You're like, how did you get this many? But they, I don't know. They like keeping a, a tight profile. 
Yeah, look, I, I don't I don't want to claim that I figured out TikTok perfectly, but I think I at least know how to capture the video and put it on the app. And I think that was really a big win for me as somebody in my mid-30s. Other, other news in the QB carousel, uh, the Packers have indicated they'll be willing to make Aaron Rodgers the highest paid QB in terms of yearly average, probably not the overall contract value. Uh, normally, there's again, this is another athletic article. Normally, a team wouldn't want to cut bait on their 2020 first rounder, Jordan Love. This is a unique situation, obviously. Aaron Rodgers won two straight MVPs. A bit of a different one, Pete but it does seem like maybe some things going against Aaron Rodgers leaving town. The GM has supposedly kind of reached out the olive branch, their new GM who they transitioned to last year. And it feels like the, the Denver Broncos being a home for Aaron Rodgers. I think it's getting less likely, at least based on the leaks that the athletic is probably reporting off of. Yeah. It, it's weird too, because don't they, they have some, some big salary cap issues, right? Or is it pretty impossible for them to retain both Rogers and Adams? Or are there ways they can make that work? I think there are there. I mean, there always are ways. It's just a yeah. matter of like, you know, how, how much are they hemorrhaging the future? How much are they hemorrhaging other positions? But like, I think it, the athletic didn't make it seem like it was onerous, at least in their articles. Yeah. I mean, I always in general think like the most likely, um, outcome is is those guys staying um but it does seem weird like the the relationship between rogers and the front office has been strained for so long that it's like it's not like they just won the super bowl right and then it's like all right that that cleans up all you know issues because you won the super bowl to me it it seems like that whatever was you know lingering there would still be there and, and rogers would want uh, a fresh change of scenery. I was even just thinking about it too, of like all the places to live. Like, doesn't Aaron Rodgers seem like a guy that would love to live somewhere sunny in a, you know, a major market. Like it just seems like the dude wants out of, of green Bay, but maybe stuff like being able to continue to play with, with Devonte Adams and whatever kind of relationships behind the scenes, he's smoothed over with the Packers. Maybe that trumps everything. Yeah, I think that might be where I'm going. And it's also like, you know, there isn't the two LA teams, like you're not getting going to displace Justin Herbert or Matthew Stafford. Now, maybe if the Rams completely shit the bed this year, maybe there was a pathway there. So if he's not going to be in LA, then you're talking the Bay area. Maybe if the Niners stuff doesn't work out with Tom Brady, they kick those tires one more time. But I think just for me, just reading that article, like the athletic really wrote it up as though they were confident and uh, Rogers taking a pretty highly paid deal from them. And, um, you know, again, if you have real reporters covering this stuff and we're just kind of reading the tea leaves, I think that's something where to me, it says a lot about what that relationship is going to be moving forward. Um, this one's interesting. The Kyler Murray one. Chris Mortensen reported that there were quote unquote odd vibes between Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. The organization described him as, again, quote, uh, quote here, self-centered, immature, and a finger pointer. He feels frustrated with the franchise and was embarrassed by the playoff loss to the Rams. Thinks he's being framed as a scapegoat. And then, Pete, we talked about this last week, but apparently the possibility of the MLB seems higher than, than expected, and I certainly expected here. And a lot of NFL scouts have always thought that he could go to the MLB if that the NFL were just too hard for him or he was taking too many hits. And then Cliff Kingsbury is reportedly uh, self-scouting is the way that it was phrased, potential replacement. So I guess he's diving in deep in case Kyler does go away. I still think I would err on the side of Kyler comes back and they kind of smooth this out. But like really the athletic write-up of this one made it sound like Kyler's being a brat and is something, and this has kind of been a thing that's been known behind the scenes. A guy who's won at every level. Now he's not winning the times, maybe getting too tough for him and maybe some James Harden parallels with Brooklyn Pete. But I feel like it wouldn't surprise me now if Kyler Murray were gone, both from you know the Cardinals and maybe the NFL overall. 
Yeah, I, I think it would surprise me. Uh, to me, this just seems like a temporary uh, temper tantrum. He's kind of throwing, you know, I, I definitely understand why he was upset how the season ended. I mean, <laughs> compared to how they looked, you know, the first six weeks of the, the season, I mean, talk about getting your hopes up. Like people were probably whispering in his ear, hey, you're you're an MVP candidate. After six games, the Cardinals are a Super Bowl candidate here. So uh, I can see how he'd be frustrated coming out of there. And I also think it's fair to be a little frustrated with Kingsbury. I think a a lot of times kind of his play calling his how he deployed his personnel was not optimal so i understand the frustration there but to me it just seems more like hey i'm gonna get this off my chest um i'm a public figure so i'll air some of this dirty laundry out to kind of prove my point almost rogers-esque but i i just can't see him leaving this situation and i do think the cardinals still have a lot going for them where it's not like you have to blow everything up right i mean once you have kyler like they're just a couple pieces away a couple different you know, tweaks to their offensive philosophy. And I think they can get back to where they were. So I fully expect him to be back. Um, I think things would have to really go south for him to, to quit the NFL. Yeah, I think there's, you know, look, I, I agree overall with your takes. I think it's going to be tough to do that. Maybe if the MLB lockout results in a change to rookie contracts and then you get paid, uh, you know, close to what international players get paid coming in, maybe that's something that would maybe get it uh, to be more appealing, just not to take the hits and to be able to coast and get a big contract somewhere. But it's interesting to me that there was enough reporting around this and enough, you know, of them building a case. And whether it was actual scouts talking or the Cardinals just pointing out things that they knew was said about Kyler, it doesn't seem like a great relationship. So maybe a guy is a little more live for a trade or maybe even live to, to go to a different sport. We'll find out and it'll be an interesting part of the offseason for sure. And the least interesting one, Pete, I say for the end, the Colts would seemingly like to move on from Carson Wentz. Shocker, but it may be logical, uh, more logical rather, just cut his pay and keep him. And they're unlikely to move him if they, unless they can get a really good upgrade for cheap. Uh, that seems like it'd be difficult to do. But Carson Wentz, Pete, I feel like got to be pretty low on your radar of offseason moves. And I guess if you had to give it odds, if, is it higher than 50-50 that he's going to be the Colts QB? Or do you think that uh, he might be going somewhere else? Yeah, it seems like the Colts are going to treat, uh, you know, Carson Wentz like the guy that has, uh, you know, or a girl that has a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they leave for high school or uh, for college. And they're like, yeah, like I can fall back on this if I need to. But uh, if I get to college and I see someone uh, who's better, I'm going to be willing to quickly move on. So, yeah, I think they're fine to keep Wentz in their back pocket. But uh, he he's the kind of quintessential bridge quarterback where they're not necessarily looking to build around him for for their kind of franchise quarterback. So uh, I think they're going to keep their eyes out. I wouldn't be surprised. What What pick do they have in the draft this year? Uh, let's see NFL draft order. I can't, it can't be that high because they still had a decent record, even though they didn't make the playoffs. Uh, let's see. They are 16th. Actually, nope. You know what? They were 16th and their pick goes, to, goes to the Eagles because Carson went. So they do not have a first rounder. It looks yeah. Like. So that's going to be tough. Uh, and this is, I don't know, maybe it goes in their favor because this quarterback class isn't near is hyped up uh, as the previous one. So maybe there's some more kind of value quarterbacks in the in the second and third round this year we'll have to dig into that a bit later i'll give a quick plug to um the ringer has their first mock draft out uh danny kelly is behind it and like the ui i should just pull it up here on their draft guide is so sick it was like normally i just do not get excited about mock drafts but this one is legitimately uh fun to navigate and you can also like quarry by just quarterbacks just uh wide receivers. I'll pull it up here just to show you, but yeah, I was looking at it and like the only kind of quarterbacks at the top are, uh, 
Malik Willis and uh, Pickett right now. So I don't think the Colts will have one of there, but it's, it's cool. So if like you're looking at their, you know, one through 25, but I just want to see, okay, what running backs projected for, okay. We just got Brees Hall here. They got him going to the dolphins. Um, we can go look at pass catchers here. Uh, Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks, and he has uh, fun comps for these guys. Drake London, shades of slim Mike Evans slash Dennis Rodman, um, where he's projected to go a little write up. It's just a fun mock draft. That is fun. And honestly, uh, I'm, I'm going to say a little frustrating because I had similar ideas for our football outsiders boards that we're going to be doing. And uh, I will say they, they might have executed on it a little better. <laughs> Some of the ideas I have, but we're going to positional sorting and all of that. And, and football outsiders, I think going to be as credible a source, if not more credible than, than the ringers, Danny Kelly. But uh, you're right. That is a pretty sick setup and one that um, I, I maybe wish I had known. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're dick. <laughs> we're mock draft aggregators over here, but uh, yeah, I just enjoyed poking through that one this morning. Now look, anything the ringer does a lot of cool ones. I remember they had the trade deadline thing when Bill Simmons stopped writing that column and then just made it like they made it a, a content board kind of thing. And they also designed that really slick. Like the ringer doesn't do a lot content wise now as much as they were certainly in the Grantland days um, or that team was in the Grantland days, but they, when they do something, they make it look pretty swank. So go check that out. There's honestly, it's worth checking out. Like obviously I will swear by football outsiders as a draft resource, but I know there's a lot out of that. We talked about Rotoviz, uh, the ringer, like, Take some out of all of them, really, and uh, do the best you can to do what you have to do in the underdog big board drafts. So we're going to be doing a lot of on this show. Uh, Pete, any final words for you? Any final thoughts? I feel like so we're going to come back and do a show on Friday, right? That sounds right to you, or, or would you prefer Thursday? I'm uh, I'm good with either. Uh, I'll be around. Um, we could. I mean, we're going to do a draft, right? Mm-hmm. One of those. Okay, so I then like it was Friday, just... I feel like our Friday shows tend to be more of a staple, whereas Thursday it's always like, oh, then Friday's so like I think like, I think we should make Monday and Friday our show days for the two day a week period that we're gonna do. Okay. Yeah, let's do um so you wanna do Friday drafts? Yeah, Friday drafts and and hijinks, and then Mondays we'll be catching up on the offseason. Maybe we'll do team by team previews. I know football outsiders will be doing that too, but we can do it uh, for more of a fantasy angle, and we could do our our movie watches. I uh, really, I mean, we need to hear from the people what they want, whether it be in the Deposit Kingdom Discord or on Twitter. Uh, tweet us at Chris Fags, at Peter Overs, at, at Splash Play Pod, so we know just what's going to be keep people most engaged. Because uh, maybe another Playmakers rewatch, Pete. We could <laughs> try that one more time. No, I like that plan. Uh, and then we can leave Thursdays as like a flex uh, idea if we yeah. have like a one-off uh, show idea or a guest that we want to bring on. We can uh, we can keep the Thursday at 2.30 kind of earmarked for that. And maybe at some point, Pete, we'll be doing some separate betting content. We could talk about Burnley and their odds of winning by the Asian handicap. <laughs> I would love that. I would love nothing more than to dig into the EPL. It's one of my great loves. I never talk about it. Um, I'm kind of embarrassed about how much I actually know about it, Spags. Um, but yeah, that would be a dream come true. Seriously, though, have you ever heard the phrase Asian handicap? Because I didn't know that was a bet type until I saw it on the site and was like, oh, okay. I, I, it, you don't see a lot of new things, I think, at this point with how long we've both been doing this. And I had not ever heard that phrase once in my life and was honestly very confused. No, and I'm I'm actually offended because when I bet I don't see race. Um, so if you want to, you know, keep trying to further divide us, I, 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 
<laughs> All right. Make sure you follow at Peter Rubbers at follow at Chris Spags, follow at Splash Play Pod. Of course, subscribe to both the Peach channel and the Splash Play channel because we'll have the shows up on both. And maybe maybe we'll figure out a real reason for the Splash Play channel to exist besides just archives. But that's for the off season. So we appreciate you guys hanging out with us. If you get time, leave us five stars and a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, the pod.link uh, will actually give you that on the Splash Play Pod tweet that goes out. This is probably too complicated. So just leave us five stars and interview an Apple Podcast. That's really the main point here. And we'll be back on Friday at 2.30 doing a best ball draft because the fun never stops here on Splash Play. See you guys then. Bye.